Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. gospel reading this morning and the sermon text comes from the gospel of Mark. We're going to be in the seventh chapter. We're going to jump around a bit, but I pray that it's not too confusing. We're going to start in chapter seven and read verses one through eight. And then we're going to read verses 14 and 15. Then we're going to read verses 21 and 23. All right. So again, chapter seven, one through eight, and then 14 to 15. And then 21 to 23. It says, Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, now 90% of the time in the Gospels, if you see he or him, it's going to be referring to Jesus, which is what he's doing right here. But they gathered around Jesus, and they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, they do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition." Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, Envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. How many of you in here have seen the TV show Friday Night Lights? It's based upon a movie of the same title, which itself was based upon a book of the same title. Now, the TV show itself came out a number of years ago, but you can still watch it on Netflix if you're so inclined. Roughly what it does is it follows a high school football team and its players, the coaches, some of the students, some of the teachers of a town called Dillon, Texas. And this team has this motto that they say right before every game, before they head out of the locker room onto the field. Sometimes they'll say it during the game, right before a big play as they're huddled on the sidelines. And their motto is, 
Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. And I thought a lot about this motto this week. I mean, I get the clear eyes part. It's all about concentration. It's about blocking out distractions or obstructions and seeing clearly what is in front of you. I know that at times we go play disc golf out at North End Park. And if you play as teammates, inevitably one teammate will say to another about a particular shot, is that shot clear? Meaning, is there anything in the way between you and the hole? Or another way of putting it, is there anything in the way between you and success? Is there anything in the way between you and the goal? That's clear eyes. But what about full hearts? Full of what? Courage? Strength? Commitment? Confidence? Hope? Passion? Probably all of the above, right? What I think it's about is about having a right attitude and certainly about commitment and giving, you, giving everything that you have towards your goal. About not doubting yourself, about not giving up, about not giving in, and instead pushing yourself forward even in the face of adversity. That's full hearts. What about can't lose? Well, they lost plenty. Over the course of this series, they did, in fact, win, I think, two state championships, but they also lost a game or two here and there. So maybe this refers to a little bit less about what's on the scoreboard and more about if you are completely focused and engaged and can look yourself in the mirror knowing you gave it your best shot, well, then regardless of what the scoreboard says, then you're a winner. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I think our lives as Christians follow a similar path. I think that we are called to live lives that have clear eyes and full hearts, but in different ways. If as Christ's followers we are commanded to do two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbors, we can only do that if our eyes are clear and our hearts are full. And to do that means we have to acknowledge that we battle not just an enemy outside of us, but also an enemy inside of us. And here's what I mean. Last week you and I talked about the armor of God. And we said that it does us absolutely no good if we simply know about it. But that we also have to put all of it on and keep it on indefinitely. Why? Because there is an enemy that you and I face every day whose intent is to drive us further and further away from our relationship with God. An enemy that seeks to destroy us and throw us off of our path of sanctification. And we must see this clearly and understand that the life of a Christian is one of constant effort. We must pray without ceasing. We must rejoice always. We must give thanks for everything. Because the enemy waits to catch us sleeping, or at ease, or distracted, or unfocused. Think about the times in your life where things maybe felt a little out of control. 
maybe a little bit overwhelming, maybe a little bit out of sorts. I guarantee it was those times in your life where you allowed yourself to become distracted. Maybe you took time off from worship or time off from devotions or time off from Bible study or time off from prayer. It is these moments where your eyes aren't clearly on the constant effort that being a Christian requires that the enemy from without strikes, causing discontent, causing strife, causing trouble, causing harm. And here's what we have to understand, though, friends, is that though our enemy is constantly lurking, the enemy is a coward. The enemy won't dare strike when we are fully armed and our eyes clearly on Jesus because Satan knows that he is no match for the Almighty God. Instead, the enemy waits for our eyes to become clouded with other things and for us to become distracted. And so if this morning, friends, if you find your vision a little bit blurry, your mind maybe a little bit distracted, your focus on other things, let today be the day that you set yourself right. Let today be the day you put on the full armor of God. Let today be the day you have clear eyes to see and fight the enemy that's on the outside. Which now brings us to the enemy within us. And full hearts and the words of our Lord for us this morning. It's been a few Sundays since we were with Jesus. At least in the story, right? And as we pick up in the Gospel of Mark, we see we are a few days away from the feeding of the 20,000. And he and the disciples, after Jesus has walked to them on water and gotten into the boat, have landed at Gennesaret. What we see in the last few verses of chapter 6 is that Jesus and the disciples were set upon by this deluge of folks who needed healing. Wherever Jesus was, wherever he went, people were being brought to him left and right in need of healing. When he went to the villages, people were there needing healing. And so Jesus worked and healing happened. When he went to the cities, people were there needing healing. And so Jesus worked and healing happened. When he went to the farms, there were people there waiting for healing. And Jesus worked and healing happened. Jesus and the disciples worked nonstop. If you go back in chapter 6, verse 31, it tells us that they had been working so hard, they didn't ha even have time enough to eat. And that was before the feeding of the 20,000. So I'm sure now they got even less time to be able to sit down and have a meal together. And it tells us further that everybody who came to him and merely touched the fringe of his cloak were all healed. Now, the reason why there are so many people here, so many people coming to Jesus, is that words of his healing, his ministry, his miracles, his works, his teachings have made Jesus a fairly famous person. And so what happens is people come from all around wanting to get a glimpse of Jesus. And that includes friends, and that includes enemies. And that's why the Pharisees and some scribes are here as we pick things up in chapter 7. They too have heard about Jesus' healings and teachings, but they weren't there as fans. They weren't there to support Jesus. They weren't here to pat Jesus on the back. No, they were here to observe and record any unlawful teaching or activity. That's why if you start in chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel and read all the way to where we picked up this morning, that even after Jesus has healed a man with an unclean spirit, 
and healed many at Peter's house, and healed a leper, and healed a paralytic, and healed a man with a withered hand, and calmed a storm, and healed a man possessed by a legion of demons, and healed a woman with a 12-year-long bleeding condition, he rose a little girl, a 12-year-old girl from the dead, fed 20,000 people with just five loaves and two fish, walked on water, healed everybody he could possibly get to on the Galilean seaside. Even after all of this, the Pharisees and the scribes want to know what from Jesus? How come your people don't wash their hands? That's what they want to know. They make no mention of the healings. No mention of the miracles. No mention of the fact that these signs and wonders are done to prove Jesus' identity as the Messiah. No mention of the convicting faith that is bringing, being generated on the part of those who are seeking and receiving the healings. No, they want to know why it is that Jesus, as the leader of these 12 men, is letting them break this insignificant tradition. Rather than give thanks and praise to the evidence, workings, and reality of the Holy Spirit, instead they wanted to chastise and belittle it because they weren't following the tradition of the elders. That, oh, by the way, is nowhere supported by Scripture. They had taken these man-made rules and dictates and had placed them on equal footing with the Word of God and were effectively making the statement, we will know if you're a good and faithful Jew based upon how many of these rules you follow. And Jesus calls them out on it. He calls them hypocrites and quotes the prophet Isaiah about worshiping as imitators. They are ignoring God's commandments while at the same time holding on to rules created by humans. Why? Because their hearts are filled with the wrong things. Commentary I read this week says this, According to Jesus, focus on the ceremonial laws of cleanliness at the expense of a renewed heart or mercy distorts the purpose of the law and of God himself. On account of the profound defilement of the heart, even the word of God gets reinterpreted or annulled for personal gain. Without renewed hearts, pursuing the law and pure life is in vain. Our sinful hearts inevitably twist God's good law towards selfish, self-excusing, self-justifying, or proud purposes. They put man-made laws of equal weight as God because they were pride, prideful. Because they knew with that they have job security. Because they knew they could tell the Jews, hey, you can't possibly keep all of these laws. You need to come to us for absolution. That's why they did it. And one of the things we have to understand about Scripture is that when it refers to heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood. It means our very core, our innermost self, the deepest center of who we are, the place from which our thoughts and actions arise. God wants to penetrate to that very place. And when we are speaking of full hearts, we need to make sure that we're speaking of hearts that are full of God. So let me ask you. What has the final word in how you live your life? Is it the things that you've learned from the authority figures and traditions of the church and community, or is it the word of God? Because at the heart of this passage is the reality that we can all so easily find ourselves lost in human-made rules, rituals, and traditions that we lose sight of following God from a faithful heart steeped in the word 
of God. What Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees is that by focusing so much on their traditions, they became more invested in their rules than in abiding by the word of God. They're more concerned about the appearance of faith than about the condition of a believer's heart. They may claim to know God, but it's the condition of one's heart that steers us all either away or towards the things of God. Which brings us to the enemy within. Jesus lets us know in verses 14 to 15 that his point is not just about people following human tradition rather than God's word. It's also about knowing the human heart as being the source of both good and evil. Jesus was not just condemning the Pharisees here. And he was not necessarily trying to negate all the few purity laws in the Mosaic law. But what he was doing was trying to show all of us that we should be more concerned about the conditions of our hearts than about what or how we eat. More concerned about the conditions of our hearts than about the appearances of faith. I think we so easily and readily want to imagine that evil, sin, whatever it is that separates us from God always comes from outside of us and is always more readily found in other types of people. But what Jesus tells us this morning, friends, is that if we don't pay attention to our heart, we are just as likely to be the source of sin and evil and all that separates us from God. Our words can either bring life or death to ourselves and those around us, depending on the condition of our hearts. Our actions regardless of whether or not they may seem right or justified in our minds, can have varying intentions and results depending on, again, the condition of our hearts. Jesus then concludes this morning by listing a litany of sins that should make all of us take notice, not because of their gravity, but because of how they are so normal in our world. And we may start off reading them and feel fine and think that we don't have anything to worry about. Why? Well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not an adulterer, but the list continues. And as we read that list, I hope that maybe we start to squirm a little bit. And Jesus provides this list because it's important for us all to see who we might be and what is truly possible in all of us. Now, I teased this in an email and social media post this week, but did anybody in here look up Mark chapter 7, verse 16? What did it say? Nothing, right? It's missing. In some manuscripts, anyway. But maybe you got a footnote. Anybody read the footnote? Footnote says that Jesus said, let anyone with ears listen. Let anyone with ears listen. Now, there's some debate as to why it is this passage was taken out of Scripture there's some debate as to whether or not it was actually part of the original manuscripts. But I want to talk about that for just a second. Let anyone with ears listen. Raise your hand if in here you have ears. So what is Jesus saying here? All of you need to listen to this. Every one of you need to hear this. Because as this list from Jesus continues, 
We see greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. And I guarantee every one of us can pick at least one of these and give an example as to where you have seen it in your life. It's not pretty, and it doesn't feel good to admit it, yet I think it's important for us to understand the power inherent in our hearts to manifest such harm to others and ultimately to ourselves. Equipped with this knowledge, though, we can start to accept what is possible inside of us Yes, the heart can breed all kinds of evils and sins and the things that Jesus listed, but also the heart can give birth to love, kindness, joy, gentleness, peace, goodness, faithfulness, forbearance, and self-control. Friends, we have a say as to what comes into and out of our hearts, but it requires knowing the Word of God dwelling on the Word of God, letting the Word of God take root in our hearts, feasting on the Word of God, and nourishing the Word of God with our own words and actions. That's a full heart. I told you also to maybe take a look at James this week too. Because James also talks about what defiles and what stains us. He says it's the world. And he's right. So how do we attempt to remain unstained? Well, James encourages us to allow God's word to be implanted in our hearts, which has the power to save our souls. Friends, much like the armor of God does us no good if we don't put all of it on and use it, Jesus' list of inner evils does us no good if we simply read the list and look the other way. Or read the list and feel a little bit of shame. No, we have to take the next step, which is to seek to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit within us. And God has shown us exactly how to do this. By submitting to God and bearing one another's burdens, by encouraging one another in, in faith and with kindness and love, and by encouraging one another to do good works and live and lead holy lives. Today, Jesus is telling us that our enemy comes from within. Last week, the Apostle Paul told us the enemy comes from without. Well, which is it? From within or from without? The answer, of course, is yes. The enemy is both external and internal, outside of us and inside of us. It is the old evil foe who prowls around us and the old Adam who wreaks havoc inside each of us. So what does that mean for the Christian life? Well, first, it means we're in trouble. Because military history clearly teaches us it's really hard to fight a battle on two fronts. But the message is very simple. We have to be on guard. I need all of you to hear this because I'm afraid that most of us are in the habit of practically ignoring one, if not both, of our enemies. We have to be on guard for both. Second, though... And this is where the good news is, really good news, is that there is one who reigns over all of our enemies. The victorious one, the conqueror of death, the master over sin, the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ who has turned the evil foe and the old Adam inside out and keeps both of them on a very short 
albeit invisible, leash. And when he returns, he will end their tyranny for all time. And then third, this promise of deliverance not only fills us with hope for future relief, but should also transform our lives here and now. Friends, we no longer have any excuse to give into temptation, whether it comes from without or within. Instead, we are to live by the Spirit in the victory of Christ by refusing to conform to the will of our enemy. With clear eyes and constant effort against the enemy from without, with full hearts relying on the word of God against our enemy from within, we will not lose. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.